Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. All right, how we doing? 9.30 a.m., but your body thinks it's 8.30. Glad you're here. Special points in heaven for being here today. Um, that's not, not even really, that's true. That's bad theology, but I we're know. glad you're here. My name is Bryant. This is my wife. Uh, What's my name? Excuse me. Nicole. <laughs> And um, we're about to finish uh, the final part of this series, Relationship Goals. But real quick, before we do that, number one. Are you all right over there? uh, I am all right. I'm eating some water. (laughs) Um, Maybe the only upside to the coronavirus is um, it is a introvert's dream. Um, So come to church, no weird stuff like a lot of peace signs, um, elbow bumps. Uh, air fist bumps or whatever. So all of that to say for real though, um, we're making every precaution necessary and we've done, our our teams have done an incredible job instructing our first impressions teams and anybody who's serving anything is going above and beyond. They're wearing gloves, they're washing down, which is normal procedure anyway um, with our kids ministry. Um, So we just want you to know we're doing everything that we should being as wise as we possibly can. Um, And at the same time, not freaking out. Um, One of the verses that's come to my mind is in, I think it's 2 Timothy, 7-1 where it says uh, we have not been given a spirit of fear if we're followers of Jesus but of power and of love and of a sound mind I think it's a good time to access the sound mind part of that like so um, we have that in Christ and so we need to be wise and at the same time not fearful and so um, so all that to say we're coming today expectant for what Jesus is about to do Second thing is next week, brand new series. This is what we do. This is a huge series as we talk about uh, what God's called us to and what that means for us and for you. And I'm just telling you, this series will be so relevant to you personally as we talk about being alternative to church as usual and what that means for us moving forward. And so as we lead up to Easter, this is a huge series to be here for. And it really is a great series to invite. And we say all the time, a new series is the best time to invite. And so 30 seconds of courage, not to inform somebody. Informing somebody means, hey, I go to church somewhere you should go sometime. Actually inviting them means, hey, you should go with me, come to the 930. You can sit with me. We'll grab coffee in the lobby. Uh, but this is a great time to send a text, invite a neighbor, that person that's been on your mind. Next week is a good time to do it um, and come to one of our three services. And I'll just tell you, just last story, and we'll get going. We have a good friends of ours that Unfortunately, they were about to end their marriage a few weeks ago, and we had heard about it right before a Sunday, and then they happened to be here um, on that Sunday, and the way that they came originally was somebody invited them. And I no overstatement, we've seen so many stories, heard so many stories through this series, and 90% of those people who communicate what God is doing, they were invited by a friend or a neighbor, and that's how they ended up coming initially. And so our friends um, were literally on the verge that week of filing for divorce, and they came, God did something in their heart, And we gave an invitation at the end of that message where they stood and both declared that we are going to fight together through this 
and see if Jesus won't do a miracle in our marriage. And so a week before they were ready to file for a divorce, the next week they retracted that and now are beginning to get into counseling to see if Jesus won't heal and restore. That's what God has the power to do when we gather together and when we're courageous to go, hey, God might do something, I'm not gonna sell you on this, but it's an alternative to church as usual. It may be different than what you think. You should just come and check it out. So I hope you'll do that this next week. So with that said, you guys ready to dive into part six and land the plane on this series? I wanna hear you. We preach better when you're louder. So here's what we've been saying throughout this whole series if you haven't been here. And this is the one series where I'd be like, please go back and watch and listen to what you've missed. Unfiltered radio, go find the podcast. Um, if you're listening, watching somewhere, go to the website, but go back and check out some of those messages because I think they might be helpful. But the whole series has been this premise is what is the relationship goal? Because a lot of us buy into some things without even realizing it, where we create relationship goals, a lot of times unspoken, that lead us to relationship destinations that we didn't even want. And so that's what we tried to talk about throughout this series. But here's how we wanted to end this, um, is just answering your questions. Because we tried to talk about as much as we could, um, but there's still a lot of really specific questions that we tried to, wanted to, to land on. And so we took all of the questions that were sent in, and there was a lot over these six weeks, and we tried to bundle them into the most asked or frequently asked questions. And so we're calling this message Asking for a Friend, because the thing that cracked me up the most um, is all of you that were trying to play off someone else's, as someone else's questions. Like, hey, I just have a friend who... No, it's you, all right? I like, and I'm on to you. So you can just ask it for you and it's fine. Yeah. I mean, we're not gonna put your name up there, your email address. Oh man, I was gonna, gonna say gonna we totally were gonna do it but, and like make them all panic. So we're asking for a friend today. Um, so we're just gonna dive right into it if that's yep. cool. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you the first one. Okay. And we've kind of looked at these, but we'll see. And fix uh, yourself over there. You're like making um, me nervous. Well, okay. Your voice, you, your chair, everything. If you have a kid in here um, that's, you know, you're nervous about, you should check them into CC Kids because I don't know uh, where this might go in a few minutes. So it's a great environment for them. If not, um, they're gonna maybe get exposed to some stuff you weren't ready to expose them to. So uh, first question no, is this. You. Um, I think it should be earlier rather than later either, but I'm just saying, um, don't send me emails. First question, what would be considered a healthy amount of arguing? <laughs> okay. Um, so if you're not arguing at all, that's a red flag. Okay. Um, I mean, bless your heart, babe. Um, but yeah, if you're not arguing at all, then, then that's a red flag because a couple of different things have happened. Um, one of the first things that probably has happened is that one of you has laid down and died. And I don't mean like literally, I mean figuratively. Um, and the fight is out of you. You are just going to be run over, dominated, parented, um, and you've just kind of given up completely. Um, the other thing, and I think this is probably the most scary situation in a marriage. So if this is happening in your marriage, you probably want to go ahead and get this taken care of now. But that's that you're in a relationship or a marriage with a stuffer and stuffers are scary people um, because they will stuff, stuff, stuff for days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes for some of you years. And then it takes one little thing and the lid comes off and it is a mess. And so um, you really should be fighting here and there. I know that seems so crazy to say because I don't know if you've heard like, oh, great relationships means we never fight. That's bull crap. Um, whoops, I'm sorry. It's early for me. <laughs> Here we go. Um, and so there should be a healthy amount of arguing. There are different seasons and times. So for instance, like um, when we first started dating that first summer. Our arguing is civil now. 
Sure, but just a minute. So that first season, um, like that first summer that we were together, like we didn't fight at all because we were in the infatuation stage. And you know when you're infatuated with someone, you've lost your mind, basically. You can't think clearly. Everything's just wonderful. So if you are single or dating, um, I would say before you decide if you're going to be serious, you need to get out of the infatuation stage um, until like you kind of get annoyed with each other or frustrated. Like that's a clear sign. Like, okay, we're out of the infatuation stage. Um, and then you can start to think clearly about commitment moving forward in the future. But um, we never fought at all. Then our first year, it was awful. Um, I would not consider that healthy fighting. Um, and then once we got past those first couple of years, we do fight now. I mean, it's not that we don't fight. We do fight. Our fights are usually because we're exhausted because we have four kids or because we got frustrated about something or annoyed. Can I get an amen? Um, and so, yeah, so you get, you, you, you do fight over those things. We do have a couple of doozies a year, I would say. In fact, we had one pretty large doozy like right before we started this series. And I'm like, Jesus, take the wheel. But um, here's a couple of questions to ask yourself, you know, when you're trying to think through, okay, is our amount of arguing or fighting, and you can define that different ways, but is it is it healthy or is it unhealthy? So the first thing is, is can you move past it quickly? Um, in other words, like if you're having several fights or arguments that every time you argue, every time you fight, they're lasting for days on end, like you might need to get a little bit of help with that. Um, and, and quickly can vary. I mean, sometimes you can work through things in a couple minutes. Sometimes it may take a day. Um, we were just with some friends. I won't call them out, even though I would call them out. But we were just with some friends. Like, we fight better over text, you know. And we've kind of found that too. And that takes a little bit longer because you kind of take away all the emotion. But can you move through it quickly? The other thing is, is, is it hurtful? So, like, when you're fighting, are you both going for the jugular? juggler, there it is, every time, um, are you trying to hurt each other or are you really trying to understand each other when you're fighting? And then the last one is, is it a misalignment of values? So are your fights coming out because one of you values one thing, the other values something else, and um, you're just not on the same page? So those are some questions that'll kind of help you figure out if your fighting is healthy or not. It, it's not based on how loud it is, because when we fight, even if they're simple fights, it's so loud, because we're both so loud. Um, so that's, don't worry about volume, don't worry about those things, but yeah. just ask yourself and some of those questions. personality type, like we were both kind of sure. type A personality, so it's just like, it's a little bit, there's sparks kind of fly, but it's going to look different, so your fighting might be whatever. So first service, I jumped in on that question and literally almost caused a fight as we were talking about how to fight. So um, I would just say this. When I sit down with young couples, though, and they're like, we never fight. Literally, they're, like, trying to, like, pat themselves on the back. In the back of my mind, I always say it, but I'm like, that, that is, like, literally I'm concerned for you. Um, so, yeah. like, you, you got to learn how to work through that. And, and so. if you're struggling with learning how to fight, like, I would say two things you could do. You could get into counseling if, if, like, some of these answers, these questions, you're like, gosh, our fighting is not healthy. Or just find a godly older couple that's been married for a while and they're real. And um, I thought you were saying something else. I was like, what? Um, so get, get in with them and, and have them kind of help you learn how to communicate and fight well. There is such a thing as learning how to fight well. Well, You're going to have to move it along. I know. Sorry, I'm done. Okay, so your question. Here you go. This, you can go quick on this one. This was like one of my favorites. How do you approach someone who is really not your type, but you think is cute or has a great personality, and you want to ask them on a date? I'm not sure what that question is. Is that like you're asking for, you want some game? Because I'm not the person to ask for that. Um, are they out of your league? I don't know. Cause like, it sounds like it's not the, they just have a good personality kiss of death. Like it's personality and they're cute. So it sounds like, so here's what I 
think they're maybe asking. Um, I don't know who said this, I think it was Tim Keller, is that um, we always marry a stranger. And what that means is a lot of the stuff that we're so like um, caught up in or is so important early on actually becomes less important later on. In fact, a lot of stuff changes. So interests and how they dress and normally I date this kind of personality, da, da, da. All those are important. They're not the most important thing. In fact, they're kind of down on the list a little bit. And so I would say um, there's two things you got to consider. Number one, values, which we're going to talk about a lot. And I think if you're a Jesus follower, that's the number one thing. And there's several others, but is Jesus like at the center of their life and then number two trajectory and so what I mean is um, if you're a single I have no idea how old this person is if you're 23 you're not gonna be the same person at 37 hopefully yeah. so is there a trajectory of moving in the same direction together because um, otherwise like they can have all the other stuff in the world if there's not a trajectory where they're moving in a direction they don't just flip a switch and become something that they're not and so I don't know. I go for it. I don't know what. I know. Um, I love it. It's like they have a good personality the and they're cute. I would consider. Durr. And I would just say this: chemistry and just the normal. Here's who I date is unbelievable, unbelievably volatile. Yeah. Like chemistry is great. Chemistry is volatile. That's going to change. Um, and so, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so I give you this next okay. one. I've heard you should date once a week with two kids and two full-time jobs. That seem that seems hard to fit in. Thoughts and advice on that? Yeah. So we don't do a date every week, like gasp. <gasps> you know, no, we don't. Um, our lives are pretty busy. So he obviously works full-time at the church. I'm part-time here, and then we've got four kids, and then. Um, you know, I'm also very involved in the school. So there's just not a whole lot of time. The past two weeks have been nuts. We usually have like a two night a week rule, which means um, one or both of us can be away from the kids two nights a week and that's it. So the past two weeks, he's had to teach at Leadership Institute or he's had elder meetings. So that's one night. And then I'm out every Thursday for production and worship rehearsals. So um, about a week ago, I think he came to me and he's like, let's take a date. Let's take a date day on Friday. That's our day off. Like, let's go on a date. And I was just like, baby, I love you. I'm exhausted. And like, I just don't want to. Like, can we put the kids to bed early? Can we Uber eat something in? And can we Netflix and chill? And for those of you that know what Netflix and chill means, that's a wonderful date for us. And so um, some of y'all don't know, but that's all right. So um, anyway, so we, so that's what we decided to do. But a couple of things that we do because we can't go on a date every week is, um, and again, like we're going to tell you what we do. That does not mean you have to do this. And it does not mean you need to feel bad about yourself because you don't do this. Like the best advice we were ever given was do what works best for you as a couple. Um, but we have extreme bedtimes for our kids for a couple reasons. Like we both need a break and also like we both need time to communicate. Cause if you've ever tried to have a serious conversation with four kids running in and out, you will lose your mind. And so our kids go to bed anywhere from 6.30 to 7.30 every single night of the week. Um, because that gives us a chance to get them in bed. That gives us a few minutes to unwind and kind of turn off the mommy or daddy role and then be together. Okay. It gives you time to have sex at night. If I could just be honest and real with you, it gives you time to finish your conversations or it gives you time just to watch a show together. Um, we are very, um, disciplined about our phones. Um, in fact, a lot of you try to reach out to us via social media. Sometimes it takes me days to answer you because I literally take social media off my phone for days at a time. I was realizing that it was connecting with my anxiety. And then also the iPhone. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this. It'll track how many hours a day you're on your phone. Um, um, and a couple, like a couple of months ago, I was seeing the obscene amount of time I was spending on my phone. Like it is nuts. Um, and I was like, I, that is time I am wasting and I am not investing in other things. And so, um, we put our phones down, we 
take social media off of our phones so that that doesn't become a distraction or create more anxiety at night. The other thing that we do is, and this is extreme as well, but we go away three to four times a year, just the two of us. Um, it costs money. You have to budget for it. Um, and we have to find poor souls that are willing to be with our four kids for several nights and, um, at a time. It's mainly our nieces, bless their hearts. But um, we do that because that gives you time um, several of those days to remember who you were before kids. Um, because at some point, you're going to need to remember who you were before kids. And if you wait for 20, 30 years down the road for your kids to get out of your house, like that's a lot of kind of rewind, refiguring out sort of a thing. But if you're doing that now and you're connecting without the children, it's so good for you. You do have time to rest. You have time to have sex. You have time to just um, read whatever you want to read or listen to whatever. And, and you can just disconnect and be together. And so those are the things that we do yeah, to really I, help us. Yeah, I would just read on that point. Like a lot of people can't do that, but you need to do something. That's advice that we got because we would meet so many couples that have been married 10, 15 years. They've been in the thick of raising kids. And they're like, literally, we've never been away alone a night together. And so we just didn't want to do that or go down that road. So you got to figure out what works for you, what's realistic for you. But we're way on the other end of being kind of crazy about it because a lot of those things we've been talking about in this series of, hey, what are your hopes, dreams, and desires? Like we don't sit around asking those questions, but a lot of that stuff organically comes out of um, those times away when we're just together. And the last thing I'd say this, and you've heard this before, is you got to say no a lot. No for now, not forever. We're in a season where we really limited, here's what we're going to say yes and no to. A couple nights a week, we're going to be out at most. Um, we're not, we don't do a lot of hangout times. If we're going to go out, we want to go out together a lot of times. We don't have a date night together. We want to be home with our kids. And so we get lots of requests where we just have to go, we'd love to do that. Hit me up at, at you know, in about 18 years and all my kids are graduated and we will do that until then probably not going to happen just because there is a limited amount of time and there's um, lots of different options, but we want to narrow the focus so that we really come through this season and yeah. um, we don't like, lose our family yeah, we don't, or our and, marriage. And we're like, you know, our kids leave and it's not a struggle. We're just yeah. like throwing confetti and ready to go. So. <laughs> All right. Um, also, Disney Plus is your best friend. Okay, moving on. Um, just invest the seven bucks a month. Okay, um, here's a question for you, babe, and we'll keep it mov moving here. I've always had questions on God's role in marriages. I work full-time, and I tend to be the leader of the family with church, but I'm sometimes made to feel that that should be my husband. Okay, so I'll try to give a quick answer quicker than what your answers have been. Um <laughs> So here's what I'd say. Whoever is in the position to lead spiritually should lead spiritually. And so and here, let, me, let me define this because I think the spiritual leadership, we talked a little bit about it in week two. So go back and listen to that message if you get a chance. But spiritual leadership, especially in a church, has a lot of times been defined as domineering. It's been defined as you just need to submit. Hey, this is what I think God wants us to do. I'm going to drag you along with me. Um, at some level, even coercive sometimes. And that's a, I'm painting broad brushstrokes, but a lot of times that's what it's been. And we've missed the New Testament example of what actual spiritual leadership means. And it's never as sexy as we think because Jesus is like really clear, hey, you wanna spiritually lead? Here's what it looks like. Lay down your life for the sake of your spouse. Love your spouse the way that Christ has loved you. That's actually what spiritual, we want authority. We want a Lord authority over. We wanna tell somebody what to do. We wanna guilt them into, hey, I'm doing this. You need to do this. That's not what spiritual leadership is. I'm going to love you even when you don't deserve to be loved, which is 100% of the time for all of us. And I'm going to do it not out of your worth, but because that's what Christ has done for me. It's out of reverence for Christ. And then I'm going to submit my life to you, meaning I'm going to take all my hopes, my dreams, my desires, mutual submission we talked about in week two, and I'm going to submit those 
beneath you and your hopes, your dreams and your desires. So if you wanna go spiritually lead, you love the other person when they're not worthy of love and you submit your thing to their thing and go, I want to live my life for the sake of you. And that doesn't sound great in our culture, but if you do it and eventually get two people to do it, it's amazing. And you do it for this reason if you're a Jesus follower. If you're not, you gotta find your own reason. But you do it because that's what Christ did at the cross. He went first even when we hadn't done anything. And in fact, here's what we said week two. Here's the relationship goal. You put each other first by going first in an effort to be last. And again, it doesn't sound amazing. It's amazing. If you can get it in a marriage and you get two people doing it. Uh, last thing, Paul said it this way, and he was writing to specifically women in marriage, but this applies both ways. I said, Peter said it. here's what he said I'm in First so, Peter 3.1. Yeah. Peter said this, not Paul. Yeah, I mean, Peter, whatever. Peter, Paul. Um, <laughs> If any, no, it doesn't matter. Peter wrote this. If any of them, talking about your spouse, do not believe the word or maybe are not in the place where they, not necessarily don't believe it, they're not spiritually wanting to lead or they don't value the same things you do. Here's what Peter said. They may be won over. How do you like win a, how do you win a contract? How do you win a friend? It's not by coercion. It's not not by guilting. It's not like we're gonna do this. I'm gonna drag you along. That they may be won over without words by the behavior, literally how they love, how they act, how they submit themselves to the other person by their behavior of their wives, or you could insert their husbands. And so literally it's going, listen, you just go first. So if you're in the place to spiritually lead right now, you spiritually lead. And by spiritually lead, it means you take the initiative to love when they're not willing to love in the way that you think they should. You submit your hopes, your dreams, your desires when they're not willing to reciprocate. And if you start now and you go first, you have no idea what God might do in that relationship. And I'm not saying there's not roles at times, but I'm saying if you are in the place to spiritually lead, which means love and to surrender your life for the sake of them, you go do that regardless of what your gender is and you watch God work in that relationship. All right, number six. Or I thought that was good. Man. That was Nothing. good. Number five. So, no, right. that was I'm very sorry. good. We just, we've no, got a no, lot no, of no. questions. Stop, 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 I have stop. never been married. I don't have kids. I'm dating someone that divorced two years ago and has two kids. Any advice on dating with kids, stepmom roles, God's view on divorce and remarrying? So that's loaded. So just do what you can in about two minutes. Okay, two minutes. I, yeah. I can't deal with all that. We, we've said this a couple of times. My advice is this. Time is your friend. Time is your friend. I'm going to say it three times. Time is your friend. And we said this before, but generally when you're coming out of divorce, even the most civil of divorces, there's some hurt, there's some pain, um, there's some stuff that you've got to unwind from. And we've said this before, but the nature of pain is that you are self-absorbed for a season. That's just the nature of pain. That's the nature of physical pain. Somebody jacks you up with a hammer over your hand. You're not in that moment like, hey, how you doing? Like you're just, you're absorbed with the pain. You're probably saying words that you don't normally say. Like it's just, it's not because you're bad. It's because that is the nature of pain. It leads to self-absorption. The same is true. Um, emotionally and relationally. And so I would just say this, you need time. I always tell people at least, I think they said two years, at least two years. Really my personal opinion is five years, but that's just me, but nobody takes that seriously. But I just, because I've sat with so many couples over the years, I know the dangers. And second marriages have a high failure rate. Mm. And that's not like a, that's an inevitability. It's just, you need to come in with eyes wide open and you need to prepare the way so that Jesus can do an incredible work and you can have a great second marriage. And if you are coming, 
coming in as a single into somebody's divorce. You need to come in working and setting yourself up for success. So I would say this last thing is you both need to get into counseling. I know that's extreme, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you need to work together through some of that stuff that they're bringing into the second relation, the second marriage. And you need to work together through your own stuff. And then you need to communicate some of those things about how you're going to handle step stepkids and all of that stuff that can be very, very difficult. But I'm just going to say it again. Time is yeah. your friend. And, Do not And I would it. say counseling and a community group, like you need to find a community group of other godly people that can kind of speak into this and walk with you um, so that you make sure that you're thinking through everything and dealing with everything. Okay. Next question for yes. you. Um, what does it look like to put God first in your marriage? Which we talked about a little bit earlier in the series, but I love these words. In these days and times, which basically kind of references the fact yes. that it's hard, it's difficult. You want okay. to hold this? Yes, okay. I, made a, I made a chart. So we made this chart earlier, but um, I am not a fan of the tripod. So I was like, I'm just going to make a poster. Okay. So <clears throat> we, gosh, we talked about this um, think the first week about whatever you put in the center of your lives or your marriage or your relationships, that's going to impact everything else, right? So it's going to impact your values and beliefs, your actions and decisions, and your influence and impact. Make sure this side sees it. Everybody sees it. Okay. So you've got to be um, really choosy about what you put in in the center of your relationship or your lives. And if you're not sure what's at the center, then you guys need to start having these conversations right now. Okay. So if at the center is um, we want to build up our retirement, we want to make money, we want to make sure we have good jobs, our house looks nice, we drive nice cars, that um, we get all of our identity through our children, that's going to be the center and that's going to impact everything, okay, your values and your beliefs, your actions and decisions, influence and impact. Because I have to tell you, the amount of distractions has absolutely changed, but not the how we handle those, okay? So what needs to be at the center, especially if you're a Jesus follower, is your relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that comes first and foremost. And then if you make that a priority, everything else is going to fall into line. So like making sure that Sundays are free so that you can come to church with your kids and, and you teach them the priority of putting Christ first practically in that way. Um, making sure that you're being generous and you're giving. Making sure that you are in community and you're walking with other people so you're not doing life alone. If, if you're making those things the center of your life and if you're making those things a priority, it's gonna influence everything else and your kids are gonna see that and it's gonna be a really good um, uh, influence for them. We, so often we talked about this is that, you know, we want to build our houses or our foundations with sand, but we want the benefit of the rock. Like we want Jesus to bless everything that we're doing on our own, bless our efforts and, and our poor decisions, but that's, that, that's not how it works. We We've got to be disciplined to build on the rock and then Jesus will do his thing. And so that means you're going to have to say no to a lot of stuff. Um, <clears throat> your kids may play one sport each. I know that sounds crazy and maybe it's not year round. I don't know. I know that's shocking. But um, you may have to say no to a couple of things. Um, you may, and, and we will say this a lot, it's no for a season, but not for eternity, right? So um, keep that in mind. But one of the things we wrote down is that hurry is one of the greatest enemies to a relationship with Jesus. And I think especially in the social media world, <clears throat> We are trying to keep up and hurry. We're trying to live all these different experiences and, and do all these different things. And, and then we're trying to keep up with the next person. And, um, and we're, we're driving ourselves, my dad used to say this, we're driving ourselves into a bottle of Maalox, right? Because it's just, we never have any time to relax and really make sure that what's at the center needs to be at the center. And so um, the verse we touched on, um, actually, we didn't touch on this verse. This is new for you guys. Matthew six thirty three. seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given 
into as well. Um, and so as you're making those small daily decisions to seek Jesus first, he, he will take care of everything else. But if you, if you get that backwards, if, if you're just um, trying to go after whatever you want to go after, then, then you're ultimately not going to get the things that you're actually going after. I don't know if that made any sense. Yeah. I'm really hoping no, I think it, it did. did. And I'll, I'll add one thing of how this works. So it's not ethereal. Is, so I, I'll use finances because that's the thing that pops to the top of my head. But when we decided early in our marriage, Jesus is going to be at the center. The value and belief was just around that area is that, that Jesus as at his nature is irrationally generous. He was irrationally generous to us. So we want to live that kind of lifestyle. So that's our value and belief. And so out of that, the action and decision it creates is we decided literally day one of marriage, we were going to budget and 10% of our income was going to go away. And we believe first to the local church because that's God's plan A, um, hope for the world. And so from the very beginning, even when we were not making anything, that was an action and decision that came out of a value and belief that, that stemmed from the fact that Jesus was going to be the center of our life. And we've done that with our kids, with our marriage, how we spend our time, but it literally trickles down into everything. And the thing you have to realize is something will be at the center, yeah. your career, your 401k, um, your image, what you want other people to see, getting your kids into that school. And all of those things may be great, but if you put the wrong thing at the center, everything will be out of balance and you will feel it in your relationship. Yep. All right. So next question, how do you include God or leave it to God when you are on opposite sides of an argument with your spouse? Um, so we're skipping that, that last one. Yeah. Okay. Cause All we right. got to move. I'm okay. sorry. Um, so here, here's what I would say in our relationship. I just pray to Jesus that, um, he would reveal to Nicole the fact that she's wrong and that she needs to see she needs clarity. Okay, James um, 4, 1, what causes fights right, and so here, quarrels Here's what you. James actually, and a lot of times I do do that, but this is really the biblical answer. Um, James says this, and it's so like counterintuitive. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And it's counterintuitive because you're like, well, that's a lot of things, a lot of different circumstances. Sometimes we argue about different stuff. So who really knows? And James is like, no, 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 you can know. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Because there's lots of different circumstances, but there's actually only one source. And what James is saying is, and he actually says it later in that verse, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And immediately we're like, no, 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 they don't. It has everything to do with them. And this is right. And they should see it my way. And it's good for our family. And they promised and I deserve it, all those things. So I, I got you, just hold on, hang on for a second. But here's what James is saying. Even in that scenario, if it legitimately is 90% their fault and maybe 10% your fault, the 10% your fault, you never own. We talked a little bit about this in Start Over. And so what James is saying, here's what you need to recognize in every single argument, even when you don't want to, which is all the time, is that there is something that you want in that argument and you're not getting it. There is something that you want and they're not giving it to you. And here's why that's important. If you can walk away and realize that in any conflict, in any argument, it actually in many cases mm -hmm. will give you traction to move forward. Because what happens when you're in an argument and you want to win? You're all about wanting to win. You'll do anything you can. You'll exaggerate your argument. You'll, you know, who cares about the 10%? It's not even worth talking about. Like, you need to see this. This is a big deal. You're not, like, you don't have clarity around this. And you'll do everything you can to use the words and the manipulation to get them to ultimately move to your side. And James is like, you just need to realize it may be a lot their fault, but there's something in you that you want and that you're not getting it. And if you can acknowledge that, it will literally take the temperature level down in the arguments. Yeah. 
ultimately you will have clarity to see parts of it that you need to own, even if it's I responded the wrong way and me trying to get them to see things my way has not been loving, it's not been right. And James says, when you can do that, it'll start to give you traction. You'll start to see clear and the temperature level in the argument will go down. And then James says this, he's not done, I'll end with this. He says, and you don't have, by the way, because you don't ask God. Meaning you're taking all of your stuff and your angst out on them. Have you ever brought, like literally, not the over-spiritual answer, but week two, again, we talked about this, or week three, actually, taking it to God to go, God, this is what I want from them. This is what I want out of this argument. And they're not giving it to me. Because when you are willing to do that, in a lot of cases, you will realize that what you are trying to get from them, they can't even give you anyway. And so literally James like, have you, come on, no, for real. Have you ever taken this to God? Mm. Have you ever talked talk to God about this? Have you ever brought this to him? But if, here's how you give it to God. If you can own the fact that there is something that you want that you're not getting, and then you can own your part of the argument, even if it's I've responded the wrong way, you will open the door to getting traction in that. And then you need to bring that to God, literally your hopes, your dreams, your desires and go, God, I need you to carry this. And if it really is God's will, God, I need you to work in their heart and in their life. And then last thing, come on, every conflict is not worth winning. Mm. And I'm, this is from a person who never likes losing, so I get it, but it's not worth it. And the argument, if you end up losing, is not make or break, but it might break the relationship. Hmm. And so sometimes submitting your life to the sake of the other person is, you know what, at the end of the day, I don't need you to see it my way, yeah. and we're going to move on with our life. And Paul says it this way in the New Testament, that love always protects. Mm. And sometimes submitting your argument and just going, I'm going to let this go is a way that you protect the relationship from undue conflict and argument at the end of the day is not paramount to you guys moving forward in that relationship. Yeah. So good. Okay. Ask me the next one. Uh, It's so good. We just have the, go ahead and. Okay. Okay. I I got you. When mental illness. I just want to make sure we cover everything. Depression, anxiety is hurting your partner. How can you encourage them to to seek the Lord? So super quick. um, If you are the one with the mental illness and you need to be actively seeking healing and walking in counseling. Okay. And if you have a mental illness, I'm just going to tell you this. You probably need to be in counseling the rest of your life. Like I have no thoughts that I'm going to ever end counseling with Kevin. Like, this is just going to be my life. And I've accepted that. Um, also you should be in counseling together. So like our first year, Brian had no context for mental illness. So I was seeing Kevin twice a week, once for myself and then once for both of us so that he could, um, understand what I was going through, understand my triggers, understand how to help me. He had access to Kevin's email and cell phone number. Um, because when those moments got super, super dark, um, he had to reach out to Kevin just to be like, okay, what do I do? Can you walk me through this? Um, And then there are times where he'll see Kevin still by himself now. I have to give grace to him to realize that like him having to be married to someone with three different mental illnesses, like that's hard. I'm not victimizing that. And I'm not like, oh, woe is me. You know, it's hard. Like it takes a toll on him. And so he has to have the space to be able to work through those emotions and to get help. Also, you need to walk in community together. Um, with other couples, other friends. Um, When I am going into a season of anxiety, I just thought this through. I said three last service. There's really two people I reach out to when I'm um, having, uh, when I'm in a season of anxiety about to. One is Rachel Elam and then one is his sister, um, who's like one of my closest friends. And so I let both of those ladies know like, hey, I'm walking into a season where I'm either struggling with this or it's taking over. And um, I'm very close to both of those ladies. So I never have to worry about them being like, oh my gosh, 
she's batting the hatches. She's falling apart, you know? No, usually it's just like, okay, I'm praying for you and I'm here. If you need me, let me know. And what that does for me is that kind of brings the anxiety to the light and it kind of lets the enemy know like, hey, um, you're not gonna win this one, right? And so it helps me walk through that season. But um, yeah, you've gotta be understanding that your spouse is dealing with a lot and you've gotta give them the space to do that. But I wanna address this because uh, you said it's really difficult. I don't feel that way on my side. There were those those times, but I wanna give hope to a lot of people of um, our, there's no area where our relationship is defined by mental illness. It's not a part of our everyday. I think as much as we talk about it on stage because it's been so many years, you would think that it's it's not. Like we have a, I mean, I'm, we have a great relationship. And I say all that because like God gets all the glory for how he's worked and how he's led. But I wanna give some of you hope. It does not define your relationship. It was very difficult early on. It's not difficult now. I I think the, the things where we struggle at times are just the normal stuff in a relationship. And I want to tell you that because you can get into that season as a spouse who maybe doesn't struggle in the same way to think that this will never be normal again. And I just want to tell you, it is possible. And by the power of Jesus, you can have a healthier relationship than anybody around you with or without the mental illness. And I just want to say this, some of the things she even mentioned in terms of counseling and how much sounds extreme, generally pursuing health takes extreme measures. And the reason that more people don't see it and don't see God work, they're going, God, what are you doing? Is because we're not willing to take the extreme steps. Uh, Last thing I wanna say is this. It's easy if you don't struggle to lack empathy and play the victim. That was me because I don't know if I don't know if realistically I've ever struggled with depression a day in my life in terms of how you'd really just define depression. Not because I'm super spiritual, just because I'm wired differently. So I don't I had no context for that. I'm a generally positive person. So early on, I, like it was so hard to grasp. Some of the best advice I ever got was this: is that you should study the people that you love. Mm. So one of the things was to study her and what she was struggling with because I had no context and no empathy and God had to do work that in my life. But I just want to say this to you. If you are struggling with somebody else who's struggling with a mental illness right now, it's easy to get angry at them, to lack empathy, to get angry at God. And I just want to say this to you is that God is not taken by surprise. Yeah. And you are in that relationship for a reason because of this. God knew that you needed what yeah. they would struggle with. Yeah. Are you tracking with that? Does that make any sense? Is that literally, and I didn't get this immediately. It wasn't until later on, but there were some things in my life because marriage is not just this thing where everything is great, healthy, whole, happy, wealthy. That's not the promise, but God is gonna work in that and he's gonna use the other person to expose some stuff in your heart. And literally there were some things in my heart that would not have been exposed if not for what we had to walk through. And now, and I can say this, with a hundred percent honesty, I am grateful to God for the gift of mental illness and walking through that season for God to do stuff, not only in her heart, in my heart, that would not have happened yeah. any other way. Yeah. And God knew that I needed it and yep. God prepared me and gave me the grace to move through it. And he'll do the same for you if you let yeah. him. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to throw you for a huge loop. I'm going to, um, I want you to ask me this question right here. Cause I think it's important. And okay. then we're going to go back and ask another okay. question. But like okay. literally we have one minute. We each. need clarity on work relationships. I don't, you're bossing me around a lot. Yeah, I know. Me? We need clarity on work relationships. I don't believe it's okay to have lunch with your colleague and pay for their lunch. Just the two of you. I can so hear the angst in this question. Why? I don't believe my husband should go to happy hour after work with the girls he works with instead of coming home to his family. Am I viewing this 
wrong. No, girl, you are not viewing this wrong. Um, all right, so just real fast, um, Proverbs 27, 12, this was our verse when we got married, literally on the programs, and my dad was like, what are you guys trying to say? But the prudent see danger and take refuge. So just real quick, like literally in one minute, I wanna tell you this. You have to have rumble strips or guardrails in your marriage, okay? Um, in other words, like when you're driving down the road and your car starts to veer off, a rumble, rumble strip will let you know that you need to recorrect, or a guardrail, sure, you'll smash up your car on the guardrail, but at least you're not gonna total it and kill yourself otherwise. So you need those things in your relationship. So Brian and I, we never meet with the opposite sex alone outside, um, like at a restaurant or anything like that. We'll never get coffee alone with the opposite sex. If we have to meet with the opposite sex, it's either at home um, when the other person is around and our house is like we have open spaces or it'll be like we'll go to the office when everybody's working. All of our, most of our doors have windows. If they don't, you leave the door open. Um, but we're extreme about this. We'll never be in the car with someone the opposite sex. We're very extreme. Um, a lot of times when we're texting someone for the opposite sex, we'll include the other person or someone else that needs to be included in the text. Same thing with emails, social media, all of that. We're very extreme um, because nobody says out to wreck their lives, right? And you don't set out to wreck your life or your marriage, but it's small decisions day after day. And so you really have to be extreme specifically when it comes to your marriage and protecting that. And don't ever apologize for it. Um, don't be texting somebody late into the night. Um, don't, I mean, just, just be smart, please. And, and yeah, you, you shouldn't be going out to lunch or happy hour. You need to be home. Okay. If you're married and you have kids, like you don't need to be out by yourself, having a good time with the boys or the girls. Like you need to be home home with your family, um, investing in them. And I'm, I'm starting to get a little fired up and angry, so we're going to move on. But um, I just, I just you need accountability this with this the, if it's a the, struggle. The, I know we have time, but it, it, these are not issues of wrong or right and wrong. This bypasses all of that. It's what's wise. Yeah. So you will, and I'm just telling you, you have to be extreme in this area and you'll look like a freak to certain people and you just need to be okay with that because it's, it's like, well, that's not right or wrong. You're right. It's not. But it's wise. And we've seen, you know, let alone just whatever, people in culture, we've seen so many friends who do what we do who've crashed and burned yeah. because they didn't set up guardrails in their life. Yeah. And it's the saddest thing in the world. Like how extreme this is, is like one day we, I mean, our offices are a mile away at the other campus. I, we had to run to the other campus for a meeting and my assistant was with me, Nicole had taken the car. Literally, we had to go through this whole rigmarole of find another ride so I could get over because we weren't going to ride in the car together to the other campus, which yeah. is crazy, but we're okay with being extreme and crazy because yep. listen, if the people that didn't plan all of a sudden small decisions over time and you end up in a place that you never wanted yep. to end up And listen, can God redeem? Can God restore? Can God put it? Absolutely. 100%. But we want a story where we don't have any of those bumps in the road. Like that's a good story to tell yeah. and you should pursue it. And if you don't have that, God's grace is enough, but set up the boundaries now, not to hurt women in the workplace. It's a complicated issue, but listen, you need to do everything you can to protect your marriage yes. and your relationship. Be the freak. Yeah. It's worth it in the long run. Okay. Last question, and then we're going to have to probably do a few Facebook Lives because some of these questions are super good, and we're just not going to get to them. Um, okay, I need you to do this like the fastest you've ever done this. Are you ready? What is the big deal? And this is loaded. What is the big deal about sex before marriage, especially if you plan on marriage? Yes, Ready, that's an easy go. Question to I know. In Thirty seconds. Okay. I know. Real quick, I'm gonna go fast. Three things: we mistake infatuation and chemistry with love. Infatuation is great; you lose your mind with infatuation. And when there is physical activity outside the bonds of marriage, it only increases the infatuation and literally short circuits the communication and connection. Because here's how sex really was created to be: it is bonding and it's 
it's blinding. It's bonding in that it takes your relationship to another level in terms of intimacy when you use it as God designed it. And when you use it outside of that context, outside of covenant, it leads you to think the relationship is further along than it actually is. And you ignore certain things that are actually gonna develop the relationship. It's bonding. And the second thing is blinding. That's why makeup sex in marriage is amazing. Because makeup, you're like, well, what are we even fighting about? I don't even remember. God designed it that way. It's great. It's not great in dating relationship because you need to remember you're developing a relationship and it short circuits the development of that relationship. Second thing is this, best way I've ever heard this described is that there is a soul heart connection with sex. Culture wants to say otherwise, but I'm just telling you whether you believe in Jesus or not, reality does not match the fact that we would say sex is just physical. Most of our greatest regrets center around something sexual. Why? Because there's something at a soul and a heart level and what is made one cannot be unone. In fact, Jesus said this, um, in, or actually Paul did in the message, thanks for the four claps. He said this, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As it's written in scripture, the two become one. And literally I would describe it this way, that sex is like a sticky note. And when you use it outside the context it was created, which was covenant relationship in marriage, over time it loses its adhesiveness. Meaning what was meant to be this deep level of intimacy, all of a sudden you keep having sex and over time it doesn't have the same power to it anymore. You don't experience the same intimacy because you're using it outside of the context of how God created it. And I'm just telling you, there is a soul heart connection that is unavoidable. And just to be really, really painfully clear and over the top here, I love what Louis Giglio said, there is no condom big enough to fit over your soul. <laughs> Third thing is this, is it non-verbally in a dating relationship communicates during those dating years, whether you're going to honor God after marriage or not? Yeah. And we don't think about it that way, but it does. Specifically, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, you can just ignore this. But you are in an unspoken way saying that this is how I honor God. And it, a lot of times, because we've met with so many couples around this, it starts to create distrust after I do. Because if you weren't willing to honor God before I do, what God says about sex, who says you're going to honor God after I do? And can I just say one more thing on this? Because it's so huge. Just listen for a second. We think, well, the temptation is gonna be gone once we say, I do, everything's gonna go away. And I just want, I'm here to tell you, it won't go away. Because here's what you need to know about the enemy. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the enemy from the very beginning has always used in forbidden fruit. So whatever is forbidden is what God is gonna, or what Satan is gonna use to play you and it always changes. So what he wants to do is get you to have sex before marriage and not have sex after marriage or to have sex with the wrong person after marriage or get so deep in a porn addiction, you don't want physical yep, intimacy yep, anymore. Yep, and yep. so the temptation is only gonna change. And so if you're not willing to honor God before marriage, you're setting yourself up after marriage. And again, God can redeem and restore. And this is a place of no shame, but I'm just telling you, God can forgive and God can give grace and you can move forward, but the consequences still go with you. And so I'm just saying it is worth yeah. honoring God in this area because just look around at culture. The sexual ethic of culture is not working. Yeah. 
And um, I think I'm going to go ahead and just do this part if you're cool with that. But um, just as we, we wind it up is, you know, as we've talked about all of these questions and as we've talked about all these past couple of weeks, like some of you maybe have come out of here really energized and then others of you have come out just kind of feeling defeated and deflated. And, and what we want to tell you is this, is that you cannot believe the lie of too late. I love the verses in scripture where um, it's listing kind of all the darkness and it's listing all the discouragement and everything. And then all of a sudden you see two words pop out at you and it says, but God. And so I want to have a but God story, don't you? (laughs) We want to have but God stories um, where maybe our life was headed in one direction. Maybe things were tracking in a certain direction. And then all of a sudden, but God, he landed smack dab in the middle of your life or of your story. And he turned things around. And one of the things, and we've heard this a lot over the past couple of weeks is like, some of you have older children that have watched you do some really dumb, stupid things. And, And you're carrying around the regret and the guilt of that. And what I want to encourage you about is this. They're not going to necessarily remember that situation. What they're going to remember and see is how you allowed Jesus to come in and redeem and restore not only your life, but your marriage, the situation. That's what they're going to remember. And they're going to have this really cool view of who our Jesus is and the fact that he is a God of redemption and restoration. And he can take any mess and make something beautiful out of it and give it purpose. And so we want to encourage all of you that it's never too late. I don't care how old you are, how far into the marriage you are, how far out of the marriage you are. It is never too late to start now and to see God bring beauty and life out of dead things because that's what he is. He is our God of resurrection and that's what he loves to do. Would you stand with us as we pray? We're going to close out this this series with this song, Build My Life. And I love this song um, because it talks about making sure that we are building our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we're um, going to do something really cool with this song. But would you use this song just as a um, but God moment? Like, all right, Jesus, like I've made a mess of things. Here's where things are at. Or maybe things are tracking well. And I just want to make sure it continues to track well. But would you use this song as declaration to say, um, Jesus, I want you to come in. I want you to make a beauty out of my mess. I want you to bring resurrection, restoration, and redemption to this. And I want to see you do something big. Close this out in prayer, babe. Jesus, I just thank you for what you're doing in this moment. And I just pray you'd speak right into the situations that are present in this room or via those listening on radio and podcast or watching somewhere. I pray for those who the, the relationship and the marriage has already ended. And in some ways it's the death of a dream because it's not what they planned. I pray that you would believe, breathe hope and life and encouragement into them. <clears throat> that your plans are not over and that it does not cancel out Jeremiah 29, 11, when it said, regardless of what may come and God knew that there would be brokenness and that we would be hurt and that we would let each other down, that I have a hope and I have a future for you. And so I pray that you, God, would give them incredible hope with what you have next, whether that's another relationship or whether it's breaking multi-generational chains. I pray for relationships that are struggling right now. I pray that you would give them the courage to do what you are asking them to do in this moment. And Lord, I pray that we would believe what you are able to do 
And Lord, it is never too late because on Easter weekend, after you had been dead three days, it was too late. And then on Sunday morning, you walked up out of a grave to prove once and for all that it is never too late when we serve a God of resurrection. And so I'm praying hundreds of relationships would be restored. Those that are just hanging on and making it work, you would breathe life so it would move to a place of health and wholeness with all that you desire for them. But we pray this in the only name who is able to do what we're asking to be done in relationships. And that is the saving, reconciling, resurrecting name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.